0: Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Tonight is not an easy message. Next week it's going to be encouraging and beautiful. We're going to look at the love of Jesus. Tonight is more challenging. It's uncomfortable. It's not inside the paradigm of the way we enjoy viewing God. And yet at Elevate, I really want to be careful that we show the fullness of who God has revealed himself to be. You see, if you boil down God's character, it comes down to two things, love and holiness. And out of that holiness is justice and wrath. And righteousness, and out of that love is mercy and grace and forgiveness and patience. And those two things are what God moves and acts in, because those are the two dominating character traits of his entity. And both of those things are fully revealed at the cross of Jesus because it is out of his love that Jesus would sacrifice himself for us so that through his mercy, he can bring us back into relationship. And it is through his holiness that death had to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus did that. And so the cross is a beautiful picture of the character of God. And tonight, we're gonna look at God's holiness in maybe a new light. We're studying through the book of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus. Hopefully you're not getting tired of it because it's, it's beautiful and it's new and it's fresh. We've had some amazing speakers. Tonight we are looking at the story of Jesus' march into Jerusalem. Remember that story? He goes riding in on a donkey? Raise your hand if you're like, totally. Heard this message a thousand times. Awesome. I hope tonight you hear a new twist on this. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, everything's going to change again. There are two hinges. They're Luke 9 and Luke 19. In Luke 9, the hinge changes from Jesus' kind of establishing the ministry and who he is into this discipleship role, where he's asking his disciples to go out and do what he's been doing. He's moved into this... Instead of just watching me, guys, I need you to go and do it as well. And tonight, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and about to step in. And he is looking at the end. He is seeing the cross. He is seeing his torture and his betrayal in front of him. They're right there in his scope. And when he walks through the gates of the city, rides through the gates of the city, he is beginning the story of the end of his earthly mission. It's a very critical time tonight. As he gets into Jerusalem, he's going to tell more parables, and he's going to speak on a whole bunch of different things, but you're going to see a shift in in his preaching. He's going to mention his death two times. He's going to mention Jerusalem's destruction three times. He's going to mention his return three times, and he's going to talk about the signs of the end days three different times, all in the short span of his ministry in Jerusalem. And so as he gets there, he is looking towards the end. He gets very prophetic, and he gets very profound, talking about the end times, talking about his death, talking about what heaven's going to look like. I had a friend named Nat Yoakum. He and his wife became missionaries to China back in 2011. And I remember the last month before he left, he was one of my youth leaders. He mentored me in a lot of ways. And I remember the very last month before he departed, This guy, who is usually pretty funny, got very serious, and every conversation he had was, like, intense. He would look at you, and he would, like, drive home this point that he was trying to make in, like, every conversation. Remember, we used to do small groups together, and he, like, pulled out one of the guys and said, I need you to take this small group. I'm leaving, and I need someone to walk on with this. I need it to be you. Everything he did was just like serious and intense. And it's because he saw that his time was limited. He wasn't going to be able to communicate with us anymore. And those things that were important to him, he wanted to make sure that we had. Those friends in his life would carry the seeds of who he was after he was gone. And Jesus is there. And Jesus is going to to hit some things home. We're going to begin in a parable that Jesus tells just before he goes and gets the donkey. And it is in Luke 19. Jeremy touched on this last week. Who was here for Jeremy last week? Was that awesome? Yeah. Man. I wasn't here. Sorry. But I talked with him about it. And man, he had some quality stuff. Man, what a great guy. Luke 19, Jesus tells this parable. It's kind of a long parable. We're going to skim through it a little bit. And i want to touch on some things that are very pertinent Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, this is Jesus, because he was near Jerusalem. That is so key. He's getting towards the end. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So his point of telling this parable is to say, guys, the kingdom isn't going to be here overnight. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered them 10 minas, it's a large portion of money, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him. And sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. John 1, and he, the word came as flesh, and his own people rejected him. Interesting. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much each man had gained by trading, then came the first saying, and we've heard a very similar story, a very similar parable to this. Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good, good servant, because you are faithful with very little. Have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, master, your minas has earned five. And he says the same thing to him. Here, here's five cities. And then he gets to the last guy. Master, here is your single mina. Mina, I don't know what it is which I have kept and put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. You wicked servant, you knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10. But they said to him, Master, he already has 10. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given, and from him who has not, even what he has will be taken from him and given to the other guy. Bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So we have stories of two different groups of people. We had the 10 servants, and I think Jeremy touched on that. And I want to look at those that when the king shows up, it says they rejected his reigning, and they even sent people to tell him so. Hey, we reject you, man. We don't like you. And then at the very end, you get that scary verse. He doesn't say, go and conquer them. He says, I want you to bring them before me, and I want them to look him in the eyes as you ex- execute them. Like, that is intense. That is hard. That is painful. That is uncomfortable, especially if we're going to compare the king to God. And now we get into this story. Hold on to that for a second. Put that in your back pocket. We're coming back. Before we move on to Jesus and this donkey, I want to ask two questions based on that parable. Who is your king? How are you waiting? Because he will return, and he's going to reward or punish. Who is your king? How are you waiting? So Jesus enters Jerusalem. Let's look at that. That's... uh. The end of 19, verse 28. Let's read through this. This is interesting, too. This is all going to build. Bear with me just for a minute. Okay, I'll read it. Probably my fault. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. He said, Go into the village opposite you, and when you enter, you'll find a colt tied up on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're loosing it, thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So they're getting close to the city, and they're like, all right, Jesus, let's go in. And Jesus is like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got a mission for you. I got a word of knowledge from God. He said, I need two of you guys to go in there. You're going to find like this random colt tied up. Untie it. And bring it out here. And if anybody stops you along the way, just said, the Lord needs of it. And they're going to let you go. So that's like a miracle of itself. So they bring the donkey out to him. He gets on the donkey and something happens. Something clicks. And all of a sudden, the disciples start worshiping. I read this. Verse 35, they brought him to Jesus, talking about the donkey, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So they started taking off their jackets and laying them on the road for the the donkey to walk on. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the mountain of olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Actually, that's all caps. So it's actually saying, Bless is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Something is happening here, a fulfillment of Zechariah, the old testament book that says the Messiah is coming, he's gonna come to you riding on the colt of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. The disciples get quiet. The prophecy must be fulfilled. The stones are going to start shouting because God's kingdom is in motion. Something's happening here. The cosmos are aligning for for this incredible universal event. Verse 38, and they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, in those days, when a city was at peace, the king would come riding through the streets on a donkey because a donkey is not an animal of war. So he would come through and it was a statement to everybody that saw that they were at peace. Now, if that city was at war, the king would come riding through on a horse, a large, powerful, standing tall over the people, and it represented we're going to, To war. Here are your soldiers. Here are the people that are fighting for you. We're going out with a purpose. There will be blood. We're going to war. And I have news for you Jesus rode in on a colt the first time. But the next time, our king will not be riding on a donkey. Next time, he will be riding on a horse. I want to take a look just a little bit further in Luke. Jesus had just predicted Jerusalem's destruction. It's going to happen in 70 AD. Rome was going to come in and they're going to crush Jerusalem. They'll wipe out the temple. They'll wipe out everything that they thought was valuable. No stone will be left on top of another. Israel will be wiped out. And it will continue to be wiped out until the 1940s. Yeah. Wiped out. Jesus predicted this three different times. Now, right after his prediction, almost as if he's saying, in the same way that I'm predicting that the hands of sinners are going to wipe out Jerusalem, the day is going to come when the sinners are going to be dealt with in the same way by the hand of God. And he gives this, Luke 21, verse 25, and he says this, Is that up there? Awesome. And there will be signs in the sun in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, like everything's nature itself is responding to what God is doing. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Let's jump forward just a few verses in verse 34 and 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Like, be careful. Don't get so anchored into cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. Don't get so bogged down with things that you think are important so that this thing comes on you just like a shocker out of nowhere. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That is intense. I want to fast forward. Jesus says He is going to come on a cloud. This gets unpacked a little bit more by an angel talking to John in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. This is crazy. And it's uncomfortable, and it's wild. And we're going to read this in a new light. Revelation chapter 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give to him glory. This is an angel talking to John. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made ready herself ready. The bride in here of the lamb of God, that's his church, that's us. Another place in the book of Revelation, it talks about that she is clothed in the righteousness of his church. As in when you and I are baptized in the blood of Jesus and we are made pure, we become those woven strands of the body of Christ, that at that wedding supper, he can receive a spotless bride. It's beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And to to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous, hey, here it is, is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, this is an angel talking, but he said, See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And his righteousness he judges and makes war. That's heavy. He's coming on a horse. He is returning as king, and he is coming to judge and to make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except for himself. He was clothed as with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed with fine linen and white and clean, followed him on white horses Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the wine presses of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is coming again with power and with might and he's not playing around. Remember that parable, how it ends, and the king says, bring those who were against me before me and execute them. That is uncomfortable, that's scary, and hey, Jesus has a tattoo. It's on his thigh. Just needed to break the mood a little bit. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says that at his name, every knee will bow. You see, when Jesus comes back, it says that he's coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. The chaff is the stuff that's around the wheat kernels, and they would break it up, and the chaff would blow that stuff away, and they would keep the wheat for making bread. And they would gather the chaff, and they would burn it. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. In place he says, I'm going to separate the goats from the sheep. There is going to be a time when Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, meaning business. And he is going to see who calls him Lord and who are in rebellion. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. That means the most staunch atheist you know, the worst possible person that you can imagine, the Muslim that is, that is sacrificing its life to kill other people. Imagine whoever you want, but that, their knee will bow at the name of Jesus someday. Because God and all of his sovereignty and his power and his righteousness will be on the throne. And when we stand before him, it will lay bare our motives. It'll lay bare every decision that we made. And we will see ourselves in the lighting of the perfect holy God. And every knee will bow and say, I can't deny you are God. And we're going to say one of two things. We will either say, oh, Lord, my master. Or we're going to say, oh, crap, I was wrong. Because he will call his people to reign with him. And he will destroy the people that rebelled against him. There will be a reckoning. Jesus will not be riding on a donkey next time. Because a rejection of Jesus is a rejection of the king. And a rejection of the king is rebellion. And rebellion can only be met with destruction it's uncomfortable and it's scary and it's wild and it's just and it's holy and it's righteous and that hurts a little bit because we want to see God as this grandpa figure that's so flexible and easygoing and yeah but 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 I'm so good and you're so loving yes he is loving but he is a king who does not fool around when it comes to righteousness and sin We are living in a beautiful season of grace. It's a season of of Jesus coming in on a donkey, declaring the opportunity for peace with our heavenly father the opportunity to to lay ourselves out and surrender and he washes away our sin, our guilt, our shame, all those things that separate us from him, all those things that make us feel like we're nothing and he lifts us up and says, by my blood I make you a daughter, a son of God. I give you the right to go into the holy of holies that you can stand in my presence with your head held high. I put my name on you. I'm going to have a day where I'm going to have a stone and there's going to be a name on it for you that only you and I will ever know because we're intimate connected. And I love you. That is the season that we're in. We're in the season that Jesus comes as the suffering servant, the lamb who would be sacrificed on behalf of you and me. We are in a season of grace, of beauty, and God waits patiently, pursues patiently, extends his hands wide open patiently, gives us a commission to go and make disciples and introduce people to the truth, to life, to light, to beauty, to ultimate unconditional love. We are in a season of Jesus riding on a donkey as the suffering servant and the Lamb of God. But our King will not be riding on a donkey next time. He will come and He will see because there will be names written in the Lamb's book of life and there will be names that are absent. And he says, narrow is the path. Narrow is the path to righteousness, and wide open is, and easy is the road to destruction. There will be many, many, many that will stand before God, that will kneel at his unfiltered, unhindered holiness, and they will be distraught because they know the decisions they made. And there will be a few, they will bow before their savior, their father, their god, their friend. And they will they will humbly say before him, God, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you except your son said so. If it's not for him, I'm done, but your son said so. What a scary Glorious day. His grace and his salvation are free. He offers grace freely. He pours out grace freely. Jeremy talked about it last week. He talked about the blind guy and he talked about the tax collector. The thing that they had in common was knowing that they were totally screwed without him. They were totally humble and knowing their deficit, knowing their sin. Like, we come to him that way. And his grace is overwhelming. It is that hurricane. It is that bottomless sea of grace that we can wrap ourselves in and know his love. But his grace also demands a radical change of lifestyle. A change of allegiance from choosing myself and what I want to choosing him as the god of my life a change that requires a change in the things we listen to the people we associate with the things that we say with our mouths a change that demands how we treat a sabbath day a change that demands a or a, a change of allegiance that demands an entire lifestyle shift that says that holiness is more important than what i want our king will not be riding on a donkey next time he is returning. I wonder, do we live with the anticipation? Do we live like it could be tomorrow? Do we live with with this anxiousness it could be today? Jesus says, "Hey, I'm coming like a thief in the in the night. If you knew to expect me, I'm coming quickly. It's going to be like a blink of an eye." The way lightning crosses the sky, I'm going to be coming back. Are you going to be ready? Two people are going to be in a field. One's going to be ready. One's not. Two women are going to be at work. One's going to be ready. One's not. Are you going you gonna to be ready? And you know what? Suppose Jesus doesn't come back until my grandchildren are alive. He could call me up anytime he wants. He is sovereign. It's appointed once for a man to die. That's uncomfortable to think about. But he already knows the days of my life. It could be right now tonight. I could stand before God. I can kneel before him tonight. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's 70, 80 years from now. Do we live prepared? Because those servants, while the master was away, did not live prepared. Oh, wait, two did, the 10 and the five. They stayed active. And then there's the one guy who just took the money and hid it in a handkerchief and did nothing. He wasn't prepared for the the master's return. Who are we going to be? Who is your king? How are you waiting? Are you waiting in anticipation? Are you waiting anxiously? Are you bearing fruit? Are you hard at work doing the master's business? Who is your king and how are you waiting? I want to read Luke 21, 34 through 36 one more time. Sorry, the language is a little King James, but I hope you can read through it. But take heed, beware, watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life. Don't get so distracted with the cares of this life, with the things that seem so important today but are so empty tomorrow. So much so that in that day, it'll come on you unexpectedly. For it will come like a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Everyone's going to be caught off guard. So watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. I want to read the verse before this before I close. Verse 34. What is this? Twenty one thirty four. He says something interesting because I've been reading this wrong like my whole life. Wait, 21, 34, 36? Did I get this wrong? Maybe it's 22. I don't know. Where are you? I'm oh, sorry. The scripture verse is wrong. It's in there, I promise. Oh, that's Revelation, that's why. Hello. (laughs) Good stuff. I want to read a couple of verses before this. He says this. He spoke to them in a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. Stay with me, just one more minute, please. When they are already budding and you see and know for yourselves that the summer is now near. So you can look at the tree and tell when summer is coming. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. We have an enemy and he's going to try to distract us day in and day out. I don't think Jesus is saying here in these verses, we're going to get off easy. Can you throw those verses back up there for me? I don't think he's saying, pray that you get off easy. Pray always that you can be counted worthy to escape these things. I think these things, if you put it in context, are the lies of the enemy. Pray that you escape being tricked into thinking that what is happening today is so important that the kingdom of heaven takes a back seat. Pray that you stay solid and focused. First Peter says the same thing. Gird up your loins and be prepared. That's a weird verse. Be ready. Pray that we do not fall prey into thinking that it will always be easy. There will always be the opportunity. There will always be Jesus' open hand because the day will come where there be a reckoning. He will be riding on a white horse. Oh, we are going to break up into small groups right now? I'm totally pumped. You all know who your e-group leaders are? I'm going to pray. Hold on. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will take this very hard message, that you will make it palatable, that you plant seeds in our hearts, that we will live with expectancy, with diligence. Lord, that we will put your kingdom first, and we'll put our little kingdom second. You are the King of kings. Lord, I pray that every knee in this room will bow before you, calling you Master, Father, Lord that not one will be lost. Not one will look back on tonight and say, if only it could have all been different. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.